Welcome to the Rev Thinking Podcast. I'm Tim Thompson, founder and chief revolution thinker at RevThink. This holiday season, we at RevThink are taking a turn from our regular Rev Thinking programming to bring you a series of six episodes from our podcast called The Fabulist. The Fabulous comes from the intriguing mind of my friend and fellow Rev Thinker, Joel Pilger, who wore the title of Global Consultant to the Fullest and embarked on a journey to uncover the stories of some of the world's most interesting studios and production companies. His interviews, deeply insightful and distinct, are a capsule collection of legacy conversations from some of the brightest creative slash business minds in our industry. As 2023 draws to a close, we're excited to share these conversations with you. Each day, for these last six days of the year, we'll unwrap one of these remarkable discussions, offering both a retrospective and a glimpse into what 2024 might hold. We hope you enjoy these narratives as much as we do, and find your own inspiration and reflection as we look forward to a new season of thriving in business, life, and career. Happy holidays, and here's to a new season of creating your future. We're so thankful that you could all take the time to be with us today. Now we have our keynote speech, and it's my honor to introduce him. His name is Orion Tate. He is the founder, executive creative director, and partner of Buck. They uh, produce design-driven works, and we are so honored to invite him to the stage as our 10th annual commotion keynote speaker. So if you would join me in welcoming him to the stage now. It's not every day one is invited to give a keynote speech, particularly at the Savannah College of Art and Design. I think of it as a testament to the value of one's body of creative work and the desire by many for the passing on of that extraordinary knowledge. So when I think about this idea of, I want to do a podcast and talk to the owners behind the industry's best, I said, fabulous might defined as this rare breed of human that's so obsessed with creativity and freedom that you eschew the conventional path, risk everything, and end up creating something extraordinary. Would you say that's a pretty fair definition of what you guys have done with your careers? I would say that we definitely took a lot of risks, <laughs> but I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's fabulous, we're, but we're very proud of, uh, of what we've created. And you, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've always been a little uncomfortable talking about ourselves. I think uh, humility and sort of a no-ego culture is something we've always strived to create at Buck. So I think it's hard to put it in those terms, but definitely we've been doing this for a while. And I, I 100% agree. We've taken a lot of risks and it's always really been in the pursuit of excellence. So we're uh, yeah happy to be here and talk about it. Anyone, everyone in our industry knows Buck. Today we're fortunate to be here with Ryan Honey. He is one of the founders and creative directors of Buck. Hi everyone, this is Al McKay. I'm sitting down with Orion Tate, director and partner at Buck. Very excited to have Ryan here today. Ryan Honey is the chief creative officer at Buck. I was actually looking at your top level positioning statement, right? Buck is a global creative company that brings brands, stories, experiences to life through art, design, technology. But can one of you give us just like, if we were standing on the curb, looking up at Buck from the outside in, 
what do we see? What is Buck at a glance? I think at this point, if we were a creature, I'll put it in that terms, I would say we're kind of a multi-headed hydra, some kind of mythical creature, and that we do lots of different things. We're very much like curious, creative problem solvers. So we've never liked to put ourselves in a box, and I'm really grateful that we haven't had to. I think we started at a time in our industry that we were just really lucky. You know, a lot of it was luck of, of timing when we started that we've been able to kind of organically and slowly expand and been able to like branch out into lots of our areas of interest and and curiosity. And what are like some of the just top level facts and figures, right? Like for anyone that doesn't know, where are the offices? What's the team look like these days? Any other big changes? So right now we've got New York, Los Angeles, and in Sydney. And then last year we opened up Amsterdam. We're about 500 staff across all offices. We run with about one to 200 freelancers at at any given time. So it's really interesting to think that you guys grew that much through the pandemic, because I'm guessing that took you by surprise to some extent. Yeah. I mean, I I think for me, I've always haven't necessarily been focused on the growth. And I think we've always been really focused on the people. I recall Ryan shared some thoughts about this at his alma mater when he was invited to do an interview at the Vancouver Film School. Hi, I'm Amber Bazaller, the head of digital design here at Vancouver Film School. Can you talk about how you continually inspire creativity and that culture of, you know, creation in your your team at Buck? You know, part of it is, uh, you know, treating your employees uh, well and giving them the autonomy to be, you know, in, in charge of their projects. We want to give our creatives the opportunity to do things that they wouldn't usually be able to do in commercial production. You know, not a lot of places would, would be funding projects, you know, making puppets and painting frames by hand. And those are, you know, time-consuming and expensive things. If that's what they want to do the most in order to, you know, further themselves as artists, we want to give them that opportunity. When I kind of get reflective, like lately in the last year or something, I'm still processing these last couple of years. I think in a lot of ways we all are. But I do think that like one of the things that I'm always trying to think about or look back on is like, is this growth supporting our values and our people? So is it safe to say that growth is more organic than intentional? Because I'm hearing it almost like a there's a cultural value that growth has been a side effect of that culture. We have grown organically. And I, we used to even, I think, talk about it and think about it that way. I would say over the last few years, it's been much more intentional. I think we recognize that organic growth is another way of saying like, we're just growing without really thinking about the right way to grow. And I think we put a lot of intention behind sort of how we grow and how we become more diverse as we grow, how we support all different types of people as we grow, how we continue to kind of retain all the stuff that's special about who we are and even amplify it. We really focus on the relationships we have with the clients and our people. And those are the two most important things, right? So the talent and the relationships. And just a, a byproduct of that has been like them asking us to, to add more capabilities and our staff asking to have those capabilities and, and wanting to get into different areas. People for the past three, four years have been like, I want to build stuff in real life. Like I want to, I want to do experiences. And so, you know, that's an area that we've grown into and, and that has been organic so far. Well, someone asked me a really interesting question when I was talking about doing this podcast with you guys, because we're both big fans of 
Creativity Inc., the book by Ed Catmull from Pixar, <laughs> which is a great book because it's all about operations, right? And how do you institutionalize creativity? But the question that, that my friend was asking me was, does luck still play a, a part in that? Because that was something that in the book, Ed Catmull talks about. Sure, there's design and intentionality and all that that goes with that, but there's also this certain amount of luck. Do you feel like luck is still a part of your trajectory or was that, that was then and now it's all smarts and focus and intention? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think one of the things that I think about is how, how do you institutionalize luck? Like how do, right. how do we create an environment? Like I like to use gardening metaphors sometimes and think about like, you know, we're trying to create the greenhouse or the conditions for growth, but not dictate necessarily how that plant wants to grow. Just like water it and give it good soil and some nice organic matter and some good sunlight and be surprised hopefully and lucky with what sprouts, you know? And I think like trying to, as, as we grow, that's something I'm always really sensitive about is like, whenever I hear stories of some kind of bureaucratic layer or someone that was really like turned on and excited and passionate about something and they tried to get it done, but there was some bureaucratic layer they ran into a buck. That's where, you know, those are some of the things that are not the happy surprises where I'm just like, oh, that's too bad. Like, because I think that's kind of where a company like ours that thrives on creativity and you you hear, you know, Kat will talk about that in his book too. It's like, how do you kind of create an environment where you can still allow for spontaneity and you sort of it doesn't just masquerade as, you know, people kind of trying to navigate bureaucracy. Yeah. I mean, clearly creativity is not a formula, but I love. Yeah, it's got to be messy sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love your, your gardening metaphor because it's, it, it's starting to answer the, the question that I have definitely been fixated on when I've observed you guys down through the years. And that is how the heck do you maintain such exceedingly great creative standards at scale. That's an amazing accomplishment. We'll probably say this a few times during this, this interview, but it's sustainable creative culture. And that means a lot of different things. To make it sustainable, you have to try and do a lot of different things. As Ryan mentioned before, we have a lot of people who come from the creative side who have been at Buck for a very long time. And that has allowed us to mentor people and bring them up and put them in a position to mentor. And so the values and this sort of dedication to craft permeates through. That's sort of one thing. But the other thing is also reinvesting in your talent, right? And, and I think when people see us doing those things, it, it spurs them to want to better their work and to also, you know, deliver at the highest level they possibly can. And that's give our staff more opportunities to try different things. Like, how do we create something that is sustainable? And that's got to be creatively and financially rewarding for everyone. Well, with the focus that you have on people, I'm curious if this resonates with you. Because I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, we figured out remote really fast and we're super agile and right, it's all great. And, but you know, you know who my heart goes out to are the youngsters, yeah, right? Because the way that you learned and I learned this business was sitting next to that superstar CD and there was that osmosis of, hey, let me drive and grab the tablet for a minute. Let, you know, let's, let's both point at the monitor together. Let's, like, there's just all that craft that happens in a, a very intangible way. And I'm just wondering, are you guys feeling that? Like, it must be really challenging 
to bring in a junior and I don't know, what's the path look like for that person who is alone in a bedroom and just on zoom all day long? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in talking to, and we still, I still have, I was thinking Ryan does too, we have coffees with everyone who's new and spend, you know, 15 minutes or half an hour with them. And, and usually it's when they're at like the two month mark of working at Buck. And, and we also do what's called donuts through Slack and that's just random calls. But when I check in with, with younger artists, I, I've been surprised. They're excited to go in the office for sure, but they also, you know, that they are getting one-on-one time because this conversation, like it's un, undistracted <laughs> conversation. When you're in the office, it's like, you're talking to somebody, but then there's someone like, you know, <laughs> can I have your ear? Can I, can you look at this? And, and then when you have like even 15 minutes of someone's, pure focus, there is something there that's like more can be, I guess, transpired. The osmosis is still there, I guess. And maybe in some ways it's stronger. And people's, people are finding ways to do it too. Like lots of our teams will just have open work sessions or open office hours where you can just join a Zoom and all work together, you know, and people just will sit there quietly and be drawing or making stuff or animating. One person will be sharing their screen. Sometimes they'll all be sharing their screen. So it's like people are finding ways to get some of that. I think for me, what I've noticed, because I've started going back into the office a couple of days a week, and it's just the random shit that I'm, that's great that I met like within 15 minutes, the last time I was in the office, I was having a conversation with this new producer that I've had a coffee with, but I'd never met in person he has such an interesting backstory. We talked about that. We talked about the job that he was on. Then one of my creative director friends came and joined. They told the story. They were like, oh yeah, that Microsoft job, that was really interesting. I was like, what was interesting about it? I learned so much in that 10 minutes that I never would have learned had I not been at the office, right? right. And, and it's that kind of stuff that I think, yeah. Yeah, I've heard people theorize that one of the reasons New York City is one of the greatest most creative cities in the world is simply because of the proximity and the close quarters. It forces random intersections and collisions that otherwise wouldn't happen. And that's a bit of what you're describing, Orion. And actually, speaking of New York, I know the New Yorker came to you, I think two years in a row, to create the illustrated branding system for their annual festival, including an anthem film that kicked off the event, as well as a graphics package used during the live stream. So I'm curious to hear, I've heard you guys mention a thing or two about not just the type of work, but the, even the types of clients and the ways that you're working. And I'll set this question up this way by saying, our industry is predominantly work for hire, meaning a studio, a production company gets hired to produce a job for a, an agency, for a brand, for an entertainment company. And then here's your, here's your check and go on your way. Are the types of clients that you're working for, is that evolving? Are you seeing a shift from Buck's origins to where you're going now? I'm, I'm curious to hear a bit about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, everything is very, well, it's varied. <laughs> the kind of asks are varied, but, you know, over these past, like say, let's say five years, we definitely have gotten 
less transactional, less like this is one job that comes through. Uh, here's the creative, go create it. And more creating these, these deeper relationships with brands and the people who, who work there and becoming kind of, in some ways, in many cases, extensions of their team. It's manifested in so many ways, but like an example of this is, you know, even for multiple clients, we are doing visioning work, which is we have this product, what's it going to look like in five years? Or we're thinking about making this product and what could it do and what kind of content could be on this product? So that's an example of this is, is Facebook portal where we worked on the visioning we worked on these prototypes for apps that were they're going to be on it, and then we worked on the UX UI, the illustration system, and in the end, when the product launched, we worked worked on the marketing campaign as well. Anyone in your home who's on Facebook can have an account on your portal, and you can add up to three additional accounts. To add an account- and then even after that, we actually were creating content for them because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of people that could use Spark at the time. And so we kind of needed to, even though we didn't really, it wasn't quite the most creative work. So yeah, I mean, that's that's a, just one example, but, but the these relationships have brought interesting work that is becoming more and more upstream with brands. So I'm almost hearing you, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is not purely just digital uh, deliverables like animation, motion design because when you say visioning i'm hearing things like experience design customer journey product design even are you getting into some of those things and taking like those classic what we would now call classic motion design disciplines and applying them into those spaces yeah absolutely and i think we we brought lots of team members in to complement those areas i do think that we still we've always really been at our core, probably, I would say a design company in the sense that we're agnostic, we're really looking at the brief and we're building a team around that. And so that team now might include a strategist or it might include a UX designer. But I do think that we still, yes, we think in motion for sure, especially a lot of our senior creatives. And that's also been a huge part of how we approach systems because I think that brands need to express in motion. I'm always recommending the work that you do direct to brand because you can feel the energy. He wants to thrill us. He wants to get our attention. a big piece of, and that's a lot of some of our earlier relationships where we pushed more into some of the product and brand space. That's where it was coming from, right? It was like a product that really needed motion and they hadn't really considered it. And so we really started blowing it out from that perspective and then recognizing, oh, maybe these brand guidelines don't totally work for all the touch points that you need and all the motion you need. And we kind of expanded out from there. (laughs) So So is it safe to say that you're also experiencing this trend that I've seen where more and more studios and production companies are actually interfacing with brands directly. They still have their big agencies and what those agencies do, but it seems that brands are increasingly comfortable with working direct with companies like yours. Is that a, is that a a big growing trend in your, in your world? 
For sure. And, you know, this, this was something that started with the tech brand, Silicon Valley. Um, they were the first to, when they started marketing, let's take Google and Facebook even, they were like, we're not hiring an agency of record. They're like, screw that. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have people in-house. We're going to, you know, have use this agency for that and this for that. And, and what that created in the marketplace was an opportunity for them to work directly with the makers. And I think based on that's the success of that model that has expanded and it, it was started on the West coast, East coast. We're seeing it in Australia. Now I think it, we're about 87, I think is what I heard you the other day, 87% direct to client in the U S and 50% in Australia and 50% in Amsterdam. Wow. That's fascinating. So now I'm curious to know what's it been like grappling those asks because that's not the same, right? I mean, when an agency comes to you, they're asking you to execute generally a project, right? But a brand is more often asking you to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's been a big shift for a lot of our folks. I think there are some folks at Buck that I think really relish that and enjoy that. And and I would say like the experience translates. And sometimes it helps that we we don't know everything. And we've always just been a curious bunch. And I think this idea of really working with our clients and listening to them and trying to understand the ask. And then because we're so kind of collaborative, we're going to bring in the people that we need to complement that ask. We're trying to, we're really trying to like ultimately be the best partner we can with the best results. So we're not going to, I, we've certainly made mistakes where we've maybe overstepped in the past, but I think more and more we recognize that like, Hey, our clients coming to us, they don't, especially a lot of these big brands, they don't care whether exactly exactly how the sausage is made they just want to make sure that it's that it's amazing sausage right and so i think we've really learned a lot i would say in the last couple of years and one of the things we've learned is that we need the right people on the right projects and there are some people at buck that really want to get in the weeds and noodle everything and make everything and there's some people that are much more comfortable in that more abstract strategic space of figuring out what the business problem is and how we're going to solve it. But I think we're trying to, our challenge is how do we not recreate the problem where those are silos, right? And oh, okay. so we're trying to figure out a way that it's productive and integrated, but not so integrated that it's frustrating to everyone. Yeah, it sounds fun, actually. I mean, when I think of just <laughs> about some of the problems that you guys must be being approached with more and more on a regular basis, especially as these brands wake up to the possibilities that it seems like those would be pretty fun problems to solve. It's so much fun to check out the vast portfolio on your website of all the amazing, cool projects you've worked on. I hope listeners will take a look. But then something happened. Everyone started to make their own decisions again. They got together with who they wanted, when they wanted, and getting together was fun again. What do you mean, what is GitHub? Come on, let me show you. GitHub is an enterprise-transforming, startup-launching, community-driven, super-secure, open-source champion. Back to like just the, the way that we are set up. I mean, we're set up to collaborate. That's collaborate internally and collaborate externally when you kind of start the start the conversation with check your ego at the door everyone's got good ideas 
Then you can bring in other people too. I'm sort of mentioned this project. We did visioning on a company's, I can't mention it, it was, but on their AI. AI. So, yeah. So it was like an AI visioning for this, for this big brand. And uh, we brought in like a linguistics expert. We brought in a, a fine artist and, and just like riffed, you know, and, and just, and it saw, you know, and it, from those conversations, ideas were born, you know, and, and it's, and that's, and that's the kind of approach we take to, all of these problems that are presented to us is like, okay, how do we be buck about this and, and solve it in a creative, interesting way? But also the other thing is, is that usually <laughs> the first time we get asked to do something, you know, we, we take a lot of risks and, and it's, it's a little harder than everything else we do. But then maybe the second and third time we realize, okay, now we need these people to come in who have experience to be able to help us, you know, really, really do this the most efficient and, and best way. Well, you, you just mentioned a phrase there, Ryan, that is, is a very, this is a very prov- provocative question. So you have to hang with me for a second, but you just, I think the way you phrased it was, how do we do buck? Like how, what was your, how did you say it? How do we do this the buck way? The, the question I'm thinking of is from, I think where a lot of people in the industry sit who hold buck in very high regard could make the case that you are a category creator, meaning like if I was going to say uh, what Imaginary Forces did when they did the seven title, right? That that was like a category creation moment. And it fueled, you know, the whole art of film titles, you know, to this day. When I look at what Buck has done, you could argue that Buck was a, is a category creator in maybe a certain type of motion design. And I'm curious if that makes you nervous or do you feel like, no, it's okay, we definitely have found our voice. We know our point of view and we know what that buck thing is, even in when it's applied to a customer experience, to an AI, to a product design, what have you. Is there like, are you comfortable with that thought of being category creators or, or no? I was going to say I'm someone ambivalent to it. I just, mm-hmm. just because I'm like, that to me, that is a little bit backward facing in some ways. I can see how it can be forward facing if you're really intentional about that. But I think as soon as you define it, at least from my point of view, off the cuff, as soon as you define that category that you're creating, you, you know, you're kind of off to the next one. So um, we don't want to, you know, that's kind of been, I would say, in some ways, our driving story is that we're not, you know, we don't. I, there have been things that we have done, like illustration systems that have been coined and derided and all these things, but we don't really pay much heed to that because we're on to the next thing. And so I think that that's always been our mentality is we're just really listening and taking in all the input and all the forces and creating something that we think is interesting to us first, first and foremost. And if that creates the category, awesome and people want to follow that, that's great. And I think that's, I think if I were to look back on that and, and look at it, I might be uncomfortable <laughs> just from a ego standpoint with that phrase, but I don't think I pay it much heed personally. Well, I have a lot of respect for that because there's a certain hunger and resisting that tendency to rest on your laurels and do that thing that you're known for. And I, I actually just in this moment was reminded of I was at a session in Milan when someone from your team was presenting at this um, Digital Design Days conference. Thomas, and they, that was Thomas, I think. Was it yeah. Thomas? So yeah. he, sh- he shared this 
famous quote from Buckminster Fuller, which, of course, the Buck name derives. And the quote was this definition of ephemeralization, right? Which is the ability to do more and more with less and less until eventually you can do everything with nothing. And when, when I saw that quote, I, it was like in a moment I said, damn it, no wonder they keep thriving. No wonder they keep succeeding because anyone who can embrace the insanity of that <laughs> is going to figure it out. I'm just curious if that if that resonates with you. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say that, that Thomas, I met Thomas when he was still in college and he was 19 in 1999. So, so that's how long Thomas is working together. <laughs> and, and, and when we talk about like, real creative leaders and why we're able to keep the quality up and, and grow. He's like a, a huge factor in that huge, but yes, I mean, I, I, I do agree with that. I think it's funny too, cause he's uh, in some ways he's able to do always been able to do more with more. He's famous people. Producers are always, are always scared of a Thomas job because he will keep pushing it and keep pushing the budget and keep pushing the creative. But I do think he also embodies that philosophy of just like less is more. He can definitely, um, yeah. Like so many people, I think he is that unique. He embodies that unique quality that I think, a lot of folks at Buck do, which is a good blend of people that are really strategic and really thinking about what are the, and this is, I think, why a lot of relationships have blossomed with our with clients at, at Buck or partners, we, we like prefer to call them partners, is because we can, I kind of know all the pieces and we're like, okay, instead of just giving us a list of deliverables, which over the years have grown and grown and grown and grown. And it's such a complex media landscape. We're like, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Okay, um, what's the budget? Um, do you have more than that? Um, no, okay. Uh, you know, we know how to then attack that problem and present you something rather than, I think in the old model, sometimes we were just handed the list of deliverables and it was a race to the bottom because it's oh, yeah. like, all right. And then, so we kind of got to the place where we're like, well, let's build a tool and then you can have infinite deliverables or, 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 and you sort of can, right. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of solutions and you actually know how to do them, which I think is not to, you know, not to deride agencies too much, but I think the disconnect between the, the sort of the thinkers or the dreamers and the makers in that world became, that became bridge too far, right. Where people were just proposing the big ideas or, or, Hey man, like, I know, I know we've only got budget for a 15, but could you guys do a two minute on the side? Cause we think that would be awesome for can. And you're just like, uh, we know all know the people in the industry that, that suffer with this grouchy grumpiness of, well, this year the client asked for twice as many deliverables and they have half the budget. Mm. But what I found in that quote that Thomas shared was this relentless optimism of, no, we're going to do more and more, even though we have less and less, that's the job. And I thought, that is the job. That's, that's kind of beautiful. And I love that optimism. And you guys, I think, are obviously, to some extent, a living manifestation of that. I think that that's true, but but also I think we have a responsibility as sort of leaders in this industry to make sure that we are continually educating our clients on what it takes to make things. And and that's that's also where we've been more successful than we had in the past where you have these direct relationships with brands, you're able to 
you know, because with agencies, a lot of time it's like not a lot of repeat business. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, you know, you're just pitching, 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 and then one lands, you go do it. But with this, you have a real relationships and that education, you know, carries over, right? It's like carries over to the next job. And this time they come back with the right budget. This is like, okay, this is what it costs, you know? And so, and, and, and it's important. I, well, I've been talking to a lot of business owners over the past year and, and really just sort of getting to know people, what their challenges are. And I think the, in different regions, there's different kinds of budgets, but it's like you get these billion dollar companies who come to people and say like, oh, hey, we've only got this much money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Great exposure. Yeah. And I, I think we all have to do a better job to make sure that the the financial reward is is there as well if we are going to continue to make this industry sustainable. That kind of leads me to this question. Do you guys have a wish for our industry when you look at like where you are in the industry and the part that you're playing? And do you have, just have hopes in general for where our industry is going? I think that the work-life balance is, is probably the biggest issue for people in, the, in this industry. And that comes from a few different factors. Part of that is also just people's artists striving for excellence and and what that takes and the amount of time it takes. Um, but I think, you know, my hope would be that we can get to a place where there's enough trust in the relationship between client and, and maker or partner that we can mitigate that better. And because, you know, it's, we, we, we deal with it all the time, especially people working at home, people get burnt out and we're, we're trying to turn various knobs and we've, we've implemented unlimited time off and sort of if people get burned out. It's like, go take a week, go, go, go away. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's, and even like you know, potentials of, of sabbaticals and, and whatnot, if, if people need those. But I would hope that the, the clients or, and or partners keep that, that stuff in mind as well and, and, and do realize that the best work gets made when people are creatively healthy and, and not you know, burnt out. Well, I mean, kudos to you guys. Obviously, you've been a, an enormous blessing, right? Not only to your immediate team and your clients, but really to the industry, right? Because you are an inspiration, whether you like those accolades or, or all that praise being heaped on you or not, you guys are very much um, inspiring. I think a lot of people look up to you and what you're doing, but maybe now even hearing how you're doing it, I, I hope is inspiring. So what's the next season, next chapter, when you guys just look into the future, maybe it's a, a bit of a wrap-up question. How will you continue to grow if you so desire or choose to? Yeah, I mean, I think we were asking ourselves these questions a lot lately. And, you know, I think our biggest challenge is finding the talent. You know, there's lots of, of young artists that come in that we, we can, can mentor and grow, but real growth that's going to respond to our, our partners and clients' needs is going to be in different different sort of disciplines, ones that maybe we haven't done in the past or are just sort of starting. So, you know, in, in recent history, we've we've certainly been partnering with other creative agencies or creative shops that do things that are a little more advanced than we are in certain areas. And, you know, I could see a world where those relationships perhaps become more formal and, you know, we see potential growth that way. I think that we were in an interesting position right now in, in the industry and 
it's really because of these very strong relationships we've been able to forge with these brands, you know, especially here in, in, the, in the States, but now also in, in Australia and in Europe, where we've got gravitas, I guess, and we could potentially use that to create something larger and stronger than the current buck. All right. I'll talk about fear a little bit in the next season. There is definitely optimism, but I think some of my fears are around and they always have been. It's like, I, I really cherish what we built our culture and our teams and our relationships. And I don't want to fuck that up, but I've become more and more, I would say, interested, equally interested in I'm afraid of not taking advantage of what we've built and really amplifying and leveraging what we've built. And so I think that's an exciting, when we look into the future, that idea of the things that we've found as we've, as we've talked to other companies that we found that Buck has been able to do successfully, how can we kind of join together to amplify some of those things to create the future that we all want to together? Man, that's exciting. Yeah, it's wild to think that you've built something really strong, healthy, powerful, uh, vibrant. And now what do we do with that? That's almost in a way a burden, right? Something that does have a bit of fear, but also excitement mixed in all at once. Well, guys, can't thank you enough for doing the chat. Um, on behalf of me, my colleagues, the community of owners, you know, that I represent, but, uh, even our whole industry, you guys are awesome and keep up the great work. We can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, Joel. Fun, fun talking. Oh, you're on oh, mute. You're on mute. <laughs> Good end. <laughs> Sign of the times. <laughs> uh, yes, thank you, Joel. And uh, and it was, it was great talking to you. And um, hopefully we'll see you in person one day soon. Congrats to all of my guests for making the list. The Fabulist is a labor of love put in motion by me, produced by a team of creatives, and enjoyed by you. Our host, well, that's me, Joel Pilger. Sound designer is Eric Singer and the audio alchemists at Coop Studios. Senior producer, Jocelyn Arem at Arbo Radico. Special thanks to my partner and good friend, Tim Thompson at RevThink for all of his wisdom. If you appreciate these contributions, be a good human. Give these people a shout out. Also, please like and subscribe and tell more creatives in the world about The Fabulists so we can keep telling more of these stories. Until next time, keep on living a better story. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com community. I look forward to seeing you there.